When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Gabriel Quiroga, your host in Madrid, Spain. As the coronavirus has halted European football, we are doing rewatchables of classic FC Barcelona games. Today we'll be talking about the 2011 Champions League final against Manchester United. With me to talk about this game is one of our new members from Miami, Alejandro Viegas. Alejandro, hombre, ¿qué tal? Hey, how you doing? Coming in hot from Miami. How's the quarantine doing in Madrid? I guess you're you're finding ways to stay just focused on football. I, I, I've seen your tweets. You're watching a lot of old games. You found a website, so I think you're somehow having fun, right? Yeah, Cole, Cole sent us this uh, website, Futbalia, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. Uh it's a crazy vortex because it has almost every FC Barcelona game. Not only FC Barcelona, but almost yeah. every uh, team and competition. So, yeah, I've been watching that. But, uh, man, you can tell by my hair that we were talking about this <laughs> earlier. I have quarantine hair, you know, and my hair is out of control. And uh, But we're holding up here, man. Um, we still have two more weeks left. Um, how are things going in Miami? Well, I hear numbers are going up, and it's, it's scary. We're in the United States where the country with most cases now in the world and we saw that coming and i think we didn't prepare for it and we're suffering from it right now but still some cities are not in total quarantine so i mean i I guess we don't learn from what we saw in europe so now we're suffering here yeah and unfortunately you know obviously with sports being halted we were trying to come up with different ways to come up with content for barca talk and so you know we kind of pushed the idea of just watching these rewatchable games and man uh, you know, this match especially, you know, just brings back such good memories. Um, but before we dive into that, we're just going to get into this quick ad. Alejandro, let's dive into this match. Um, this match took place on May 28th, 2011 at Wembley Stadium. Obviously, Manchester United, Champions League final. First, I just kind of want to get your background with this. Where were you watching it? Uh, who were you watching it with? Give me your personal story about this final. Yeah, I was back in Venezuela still. I was, I was. That was the year right after I came to the United States to study and and play baseball here. And I was watching the game with my brother. That was the last game I watched as a not the last game, the last year Champions League final that I watched as a fan. Barcelona's Champions League final that I watched as a fan. So I remember that part. And I think that that was probably the best game I watched from Barca. I, I mean, I remember clearly how how superior Barcelona was in that game, and that's that's probably the the, the memory I have. I was with my younger brother, and we were enjoying just uh, how Barcelona was so so much uh, of a better team than Manchester United that night. 
even though they they tied at some point and the game was kind of even for a couple of minutes and in the halftime it was 1-1 but it's still for me it's one of those memories when I I remember that game and even though yeah, we didn't have a, a very tall team it was just short shorties the shorty Barcelona mm -hmm. version I think that was one of the most uh, fun games that I remember watching uh, from Barcelona yeah when we were talking about rewatchables you brought up this game and, I, and I'm glad you did because you know for me Brian, Alejandro this this year 2011 changed my life essentially um, basically really quick I was a late bloomer in finishing university so when I finished university I took some breaks in between, and I finally finished in 2011. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to uh, go to Europe in 2011 this summer. And, you know, when I was planning this trip with my family, I knew that the possibility was to be in Barcelona for the Champions League final. And so I was planning, you know, when I was talking with my parents, I was like, okay, what cities should we go to, so forth? And I was like, <laughs> okay, we have to May 28th Barcelona. weekend, yeah, we're going to be in Barcelona just in case, right? And man, Alejandro, when I was when I was thinking about this, these six months prior to this final was crazy because I have never been so intense watching every Champions League match because I knew May 28th was the final, you know, and obviously with the Real Madrid semifinal and so forth and leading up to this, it was just magical. So for me, Alejandro, this match is awesome because I was in Barcelona for this final and I watched it with my dad, which was awesome, and obviously with some family members. But again, we got the full Spanish experience. We went to a local cafeteria. <laughs> we watched it with locals that were supporting Barcelona, and it was so much fun. And then obviously after the game, we went to the Ramblas to celebrate, and that was even as fun as well. So for me, Alejandro, this, this match is just everything because it actually brought me to Spain, essentially, because this is where I fell in love with Spain when I came for the first time. So watching this match again just brought all those great memories of watching this match with locals in a cafeteria with one TV, you know, <laughs> having beers and celebrating the match afterwards. So, yeah, so I'm really glad you brought this game up because, again, watching this game, we're going to talk about the categories that we have. But again, yeah. it was just so much fun to watch again. Yeah, it was. And, and I remember uh, the relief after uh, Barcelona beat Madrid in the semifinals. Uh, uh, I, you probably remember Inter beat Barca the year before with Mourinho as a head coach. And then Real Madrid had Mourinho again. And we were facing Mourinho again in the semifinals. And I just wanted to beat him so bad. And I think all, all Barcelona fans wanted to do that. And the, when they, the, the way they did it with Messi scoring that very crazy goal, with that awesome slalom in uh, uh, Bernabeu, it was just a very good feeling just to get getting into the final, just going over the Real Madrid, the Mourinho's version of that Real Madrid with all the polemic that all that brought. It was it was just great. Yeah, I remember leading up to that, um, especially with that Messi goal, that I screamed so loud <laughs> that my mom was yelling at me, telling me to calm down. And Relax. because I knew, right, because I knew leading up that May 28th yeah. was the final. So I knew everything was lining up and I just couldn't believe it. So. So, yeah, so again, this game, like I tell you, it's just a really special game for me because it's one of the things that brought me to Spain. So, yeah. So let's go into this a little bit. Let's talk about some of the news uh, prior to the match. And I, we only have two news items. The first one really was kind of the decline of Puyol. Obviously, uh, in the 2011 season, 2010-2011 season, Puyol was played with a lot of knee injuries. And yeah. pretty much after this season, he wasn't playing as much. And, again... 
Um, in this final, you know, he wasn't available. You know, he did eventually come on. But again, it was really kind of sad because, you know, Puyol was such a central figure for the 10 years, you know, leading up to this. And he wasn't able to fully participate. And that's when Mascherano got the playing time. So, again, do you remember anything about this season with Puyol in the 2010-2011 season? Yeah, I remember uh, just like like you said, the decline. How you, you can tell, especially as a defender, when when they're not that quick, when they can't jump the same way, they, when they, they're late to, to some balls, you're like, okay, we're watching maybe the, the last good years of, of Carlos Puyol. But it was awesome watching him just coming on the – on the pitch because he played a couple of minutes coming in from uh, for uh, Danny Alves, and I and, and I thought it was great. And then I thought, okay, now he's gonna uh, Pep is just putting him on just so he can lift the trophy, and then he let that he put that on the side, and then he gave Abidal the chance to do that. So I think that was awesome because if you remember, that was the last chance Puyol had to to lift the cup. He maybe he maybe he didn't know that. Maybe he thought. Yeah. Hey, you know, we'll we'll be back. We'll we'll win again. We'll be back here, and I can lift a, another trophy. But th that wasn't the case. That was his last chance, and he, and he didn't do it. But he did it for a good cause. So it's just it's just a, a good uh, feeling. Even though he wasn't having a, a great year, he was having a, a tough year for him personally because the team was doing good. He put that on, on the side and still let Abidal enjoy that great moment because what Abidal was going through was even worse. So I think that that talks about uh, what kind of a captain was uh, Carlos Puyol. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, too, because, you know, prior to that in the summer, he just, you know, helped Spain win the World Cup. Yeah. And so, you know, you're talking about a, a grueling, you know, obviously that was a grueling uh, World Cup because, you know, most of those matches were one nothing matches for Spain. And, you know, going into the 2011 season, you could just see that he was limbering and he's always had knee problems. You know, we always knew this and it was just a matter of getting him the rest, you know, but obviously with the World Cup going into that, uh, that 2010-2011 season was just plagued with injuries where he was just always in doubt, you know, and that's when really Mascherano just kind of took over even more as a center back pairing with PK. Yeah, like, like we were saying in the in the past episodes during the draft, that was that was when uh, they saw Mascherano as a central defender. The same with Yaya Touré, who looked like midfielders for most of us. And then Pep just said, "You know what? They can be our central defenders, and they can be this the first guy to give the ball to Busquets, and then they can go forward." So I think that was that was a very good uh, experiment, if you will, because Mascherano was coming from Liverpool as a as a midfielder, as a defensive midfielder. And then he ended up playing back, and we saw maybe the best years of of Mascherano as a defender, along with Piqué. So, and obviously he he enjoyed the best version of the Barcelona midfielder, which helped a lot to get the ball out of there because if Mascherano was playing nowadays with Piqué, he would have way more problems to get the ball out, trying to just pass the ball around. Uh, even with with uh, Ter Stegen back there, but it would have been a little bit more difficult than what it was having Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets helping you out to just go through and relax and just passing ball, pass the ball, take the ball, give me the ball. And and I think that helped a little bit Mascherano. He had those players around him that made him a better player. But, I mean, he, he took his chance. He, he enjoyed the moment and he became a better player. Yeah, and like you said, you know, Mascherano found his groove, you know, because just like you said, Pep, 
wanted uh you know someone that can can actually you know pass the ball and do it well rather than just defend right so that's yeah. why Mascherano got that now the other news item leading up to this was Pep Guardiola versus Ferguson part 2 you know we were talking prior that you said 2009 obviously FC Barcelona got the Champions League final over Ferguson in that one and that one was a little bit uh, i would say closer yeah, in very, rival right yeah, which just that was a tougher game for sure yes yeah and this one was just, you know, Barcelona just superior on all facets, especially in the second half. And, you know, for me, one of the things when I was watching this was Ferguson's body language. Now, you know, I don't know if you know this prior, but I am a body language expert. And, okay. uh, <laughs> and just seeing how, you know, especially when Rooney ties the game, right? It seems like Manchester United are in the match, right? Yeah. But then all of a sudden, the second half, when Barcelona takes that second notch, right, they get into third and fourth gear, Ferguson's body language completely changes because he knows he can't do anything, right? He has no players on the bench. And I just really noticed that. And especially, you know, this is one of Ferguson's last years as well. And, you know, when I was growing up, Alejandro, Manchester United has always had that, you know, aura about them that they were always going to come back and always win in these Champions League matches. And obviously in 2009, we were able to beat them. But also in 2011, the aura definitely fell off of Ferguson and Manchester United. And talking about aura, I remember the first uh, Champions League final that I watched. It was at Camp Nou and it was actually... Manchester United beating Bayern Munich in the, the, with those crazy goals in stoppage time at Camp Nou with Ferguson as a head coach. So, yes, you always had that memory of Manchester United being a team that can always come back. And and talking about body language and, and about Ferguson, it's interesting because after the game, he said to the press, he said, nobody had beaten us like that before because it was just... It, it, the final score is 3-1, but when you, when you watch the game, you say, maybe... This could have been a 5-1 or 6-1 game, and it would have been fine because Barcelona was that that much of a superior team than Manchester United when two years before that, Manchester United could uh, actually had the same kind of uh, number of shots. It, it was a more of an even game. Valdez was a, a more of a crucial uh, part of the game in, in that 20 um, 2009 final so and they had Cristiano Ronaldo also which we're going to be talking about a little bit later so it was so much of a tougher final game final match against Manchester United when this one and and that's total credit to Pep Guardiola because his uh, his formation and the way he played or they played that final was just great but it was such a great moment to experience having Barcelona being the superior team that that was the moment when I felt like Barcelona is the best team in the world right now and I, I didn't have that feeling before because the 20 the, I mean in 2009 they won but it was a, a close game in 2006 uh, they had to come back against that Arsenal and it was a hard game too so this one was the final I think they're, they've been uh, the best Barcelona ever I think yeah and the other thing too with me with this Ferguson issue is just I would say like in this two-year span Spain was head and shoulders above everyone else in football especially yeah. with the national team winning but also just the style of play and you can kind of see that is we're going to talk about that with the lineups next but again with Ferguson maybe you know time passing him by right because that happens to the best of the managers and so forth 
And so that's kind of my last thoughts with Ferguson. Now, the next category we're going to go into is called double take. Yeah, so it's about the lineups <laughs> and about players who we kind of were watching this match and doing a double take. So before we go into the double take, I'm going to give you the lineup first, right? So okay. for F- FC Barcelona, it was Valdez, uh, Dani Alves, Mascherano, Pique, Abidal, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Villa, Pedro, and Messi. And for Manchester United, it was Vandersar, Fabio, Rio Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, Valencia, Michael Carrick, Ryan Giggs, Park Ji Sung, Wayne Rooney, and Chicharito. So I ask you first, Alejandro, <laughs> out of all these players, obviously I would say probably already I know your answer a little bit more. Who is the double take on this lineup? Yeah, well, uh, it's it has to be Chicharito for me. Like, how how's that player in this team? Even though I I mean I lived in Mexico and I followed all the way Chicharito like got from uh, Chivas to Manchester United. I follow all that story and I know why Ferguson saw him and what he saw on him but still you can you watch Manchester United especially two years before that having Cristiano Ronaldo as their uh, attacker it was just weird having Chicharito even though he was having a good season he was a fast uh, player back then and still is but he was faster there and and with Rooney they they, they had a, a really good connection but it was just so weird having you know Chicharito, and then Park. You soon you you saw you see him, and you're like, hmm, that's weird. Antonio Valencia in the midfielder. He's from Ecuador. I mean, I'm used to watching him because I watch him uh, play against Venezuela all the time. But seeing him playing for Manchester United in the final, it was just weird. I don't know. Once I I watched, I saw the the lineup. I'm like, yeah, these players played there. And then you see uh, uh, who came up uh, from the bench, and it's Nani and Paul Scholes. And I think, why are these two guys not in the starting lineup? And but it's, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, the double take was first Chicharito, just because you know, with Manu's spending power at that time, especially more than now. Yeah, I just thought they could have got a better striker in the world market. Now, like you said, Chich- I think Chicharito is a decent striker, but I mean, as a Champions League final striker, yeah, uh, I definitely think of him as a sub. The other person I was telling you about earlier was Fabio, right? <laughs> Fabio had that two-year window where he was like the it defender in the EPL. And I think this is kind of his last hurrah, essentially, because after this season, especially this final, he really didn't get that much playing time. And I don't even know where he's in right now. The other fun thing I have for you, Alejandro, is the Man U uniforms. For me, that's a double take on this one because I thought they were ugly. You don't like it? I didn't like the white. You know, the white with the black. They just looked weird, especially with the shin guards. If you watch it again, like especially Valencia, Mm -hmm. uh, again, I just thought the uniforms were obviously ours were classic and I'm fine with that. But I think for the lineups, if I had to do a double take, it would definitely be, you know, that midfield, you know, as a whole. Because, again, like you said, I think they were EPL decent, you know, but against our team, you have to bring the goods. And this midfield just didn't do it. And obviously, we're going to talk about that more when we dive into now the next thing about the tactics and formation. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, Barcelona was in their classic 4-3-3. Man U was more in a 4-4-1-1, 4-2-2 kind of a thing. But it's interesting because... Even though it was a 4-3-3, Alejandro, I kind of think it was more of a, especially with the forwards, almost like a, where Messi was the playmaker behind, where yeah, he like had free four, range, three, right? Two, one, like four, three, yeah, 4-3-2-1, 4 3 There you go, there you go. That's what I would say, where Villa and Pedro were actual forwards, okay? Now, I bring this up because in the last two seasons, I've been pining for this, yeah? <laughs> this, is, this is something that I think Messi will obviously, you know, we want him to have all the free reign and playmaking ability, but we need to have balance. 
So what did you see in this formation, especially with Messi and the, the pairing of Villa and Pedro? Yeah, and, and I was, that was an interesting point because it was Villa and Pedro instead of Henry and Eto from two years before. So you, you had a different attack, maybe faster guys going through as a wings and then receiving passes from Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, or, or whoever. I think it, it was part of Pep's idea of controlling the midfield, bringing Messi back and having four guys that can control the midfield. And it was, it was, it was going to be just impossible to beat Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, and Busquets in the midfield. You, I mean, you had to put four or five guys there to try to uh, have a chance or have a shot at, at this team. And especially that year, because if we're thinking we're recording this now in 2020, but back then in, in 2011, it was, I mean, they're nine or 10 years younger. So that's the best version of these guys. And I think it, that was just a very smart move from uh, Pep Guardiola, just taking Messi away from the defense a little bit and having uh, having him have to uh, get more space. Uh, and, and if you watch his second goal of his or, or or his goal on the game on the actual game, it's it's just like that. He's he receives the ball, he has a space, he goes for it, he sh- he gets a shot, and he gets a goal. And that, and I think that that was uh, Pep's idea. If you watch the the highlights, if you don't have time to watch the, the entire game. You had a lot of times when Messi got the ball by himself and he looked back and then, okay, now I have space and I have two options. Messi, and uh, not Messi, Villa or Pedro or, on either side. And that's what Pep imagined, just having him have so much space and then two options, at least, at least two options to get the ball to the guys in front of him. So I think that was a, a master move by Pep. I mean, again, this is the era of the false nine, right? Yeah. And Again, with Messi in this match, um, you know, for me, it was just seeing all the small, slight touches that we lack now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just seeing the movement and the understanding between, most importantly, Javi Iniesta and Messi, the three of them just coordinating together like a symphony and the defense having no idea whether to guard space or man. Yeah, And that happened a lot, especially with these goals, because the movement of those three the defense didn't know who to track and who to keep, and they still had to keep track of Villa and Pedro on the sides. And so it was just a masterclass tactical on Pep Guardiola's part because, again, leading up to this match, Messi didn't free fall as much. He was always on the right side as a third, Villa in the middle and then Pedro on the left. And then, you know, they allowed Messi a little bit more. Now, for me, I, you know, I want to see Messi play make more i think that's where he will strive and eventually but we always need balance and that to me you know that's why i think we got the best performance possible because again like i said it was so difficult for man U to defend space or man they i mean you watch it their heads are on a swivel they don't yeah. know what's going on people are behind them to the sides especially i remember there was this one point where vidic is pointing to ferdinand and ferdinand's pointing to carrick and they're just kind of all three <laughs> of them looking at each other it's like who's got who and it's and that, that to me is always the most difficult when you play is playing against dynamic players like that that understand possession because it's so much easier to defend a forward that is static, right? That's just holding a line, that wants the header, that type of thing. Super difficult to guard or to have the defensive mindset to always be focused because one little lapse, 
Pedro gets a goal, you know, that type of thing. So, again, for me, the, the master class tactician on, on this match was Pep, right, over Ferguson yeah. yet again. Yeah, and, and, and after that, when they lost the ball, they were quick to recover it, which was, which was, uh, which was one of the key elements of this Barcelona era when they dominated Europe. It was not only they were very good, they were awesome attacking, but once they lost the ball, they were just so quick to pressure you that you had literally no time to think or to have the ball to, all right, now we're going to attack. And if you watch uh, the game, the Manchester United goal comes from uh, just a pass and a couple of just weird touches, and it was just kind of a lucky shot. And that was their only their only shot on goal that game. So that yeah. that that makes you think, all right, they were so superior against a team like Manchester United that they just allowed him one shot in 90 minutes. That's not an easy thing to do, especially when we, when we watch the, today's Barcelona when they get so much in trouble yeah. and they allow so many shots on goal and you're always suffering like, oh my God, here they go again. Here they come. All right. Like the last last game we watched against Real Sociedad at Camp Nou, it was just we were so lucky not to allow a goal that day. They were just not on point because if, if they were, they, we would have lost that game. But that didn't happen very often with this Barcelona because these guys recovered the ball very fast and didn't they just didn't allow the other team to think and to have the ball and to make you defend and run after the ball, which was one of the keys for this Barcelona. So I, I it's just it's hard to find a bad thing about this team, even though they didn't have a perfect season. Uh, actually, this year they just won two titles, not the three of them. Yeah. But. Uh, it's just a great team to watch and rewatch, and you're like, oh my god, golden ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So talking about the stats, like you said, let's let's look at the stats. So the possession was Barcelona 68.4, Man U 31.6. Shots on goal. So this is shots on goal, not just on target. Shots on goal, 12 for Barcelona, yeah. one for Man U, right? Fouls, uh, Barcelona five and 16 uh, for Man U. So obviously the stat for me that that clearly jumps out of the page is the shots on target for me uh not only you know one of my key complaints is we don't shoot enough uh, yeah. as the barcelona team now now in this team you know we had so many opportunities obviously none of the shots were always the best shots they went right to van but for me just to have those 12 shots on goals and especially in the champions league final mm -hmm. that to me just jumps out at me what about you yeah that's the thing that this these last years with valverde and and maybe a little bit at the end of Luis Enrique, when they, they passed the ball too much and you were like, all right, you're right there. Just try to shoot it. If you if you watch the game, this um, talking about this particular game, you have shots from uh, Iniesta, you have shots from uh, Villa, you have shots from Messi. They were all trying to get uh, yeah. some sort of even a Busquets. shot. And even Busquets, yeah. And so that, that allows you because that, that makes the defender think, all right, we have to go guard him because he's going to shoot. And once they go do that, you open up so many spaces for, for the wings like Pedro or Villa to come on, 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 on the pitch and, and do their thing. But that's that's the thing that this last Barcelona, these last years of Barcelona have lacked. Uh, you only have shots from... Suarez and Messi most of the time because the other guys are okay. I can't shoot because you know you have to pass the ball to Messi. You have to pass the ball uh, to to Suarez. So I think that's that's a, a thing that Barca has to get back. Not to be afraid to you know what get try to shot. I mean, what can happen? It's just going to be a uh, if you shoot it right to the goal, that's fine. I mean, you you still got the shot on goal and anything can happen. I think that that's that's a thing that Barca has to get back a little bit. Maybe with the strikers like Braithwaite, he's not a big star or whatever, but he's he's one of those guys that 
gets the ball and looks to try to, okay, can I get a shot? Yes, okay, I'm going for it. And I think we need a little bit more of, of that type of player in Barcelona. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of my things is if we're in the box, we should shoot. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, you know, when I used to play, like, if you're in the box, that's a good shot. So, uh, exactly. Like, like you said, we were very varied uh, from outside, inside, the wides and everything. And, again, that's really what it's all about. It's just about having the balance because, again, the defense doesn't know where the action is coming from. So, uh, let's get into our next category. This is, I think, this is going to be my favorite category is when we do these rewatchable. <laughs> is nostalgic corner yeah so for me the first thing let's talk about this was fast messy and for me this is kind of where he's kind of in that midpoint of becoming a boy and a man right okay he's still not tattooed up you know all the way he's still kind of looks young he's you know he's still kind of you know he doesn't have the facial hair going on He's fast he's he's really pressing he's really going for it so for me when I was watching this match I was like you know, from this point, two years now, like he becomes the man, right? Like as a man. But I still feel like in this 2011, he's still kind of in between because of the, you have the elder statesman of Javi Iniesta. Yeah. And then you have the younger guys, right? But he's kind of in that middle, right? So what about you? Did did, did Fast Messi come at you in this match? Yeah, especially when we talk about pressure in the other team. Kessie, eh, Kessie. Messi was a key guy for doing this because he was one of the three guys that was going to do it with Pedro, Villa and Messi because nowadays you you obviously don't have the same Messi. Messi has been through so many injuries and we know he's not 100% to just be running all the time. So sometimes you watch just Suarez trying to press up or you watch Rakitic trying to come all the way from midfield to try to press up a little bit. Arturo Vidal trying to press up coming from the midfield too. Because Messi can't do it. So, yes. And and that fast Messi wasn't good just to attack, but also to recover the ball, which was one of the, like we said, one of the key elements for this Barcelona team. So, yes, I miss, obviously, we, we miss the Messi that can dribble three or four and then score a goal. But we also miss the guy that can pressure the ball a lot and help the team that way, too, because that way you don't unbalance the midfield either because the, the other guys can pressure just the other midfielders and trying to help the defense of the other team to get out. And that's that's some th those are some of the points, some of the things that we can see from Messi now that maybe we didn't see before. We were so focused on, okay, how many goals is he going to score this year? Is he going to be 60, 70? But we didn't see maybe the little things he did besides that. And now we're, that we're checking, the, okay, let's go back to that game. You look at it and you're like, man, Messi could run the 90 minutes. That's just crazy right now. You can you can't ask Messi nowadays to do that because he just can't do it right now. So yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's obviously something that we miss. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like you said earlier, this is you know nine to ten years ago. You know, <laughs> so again, yeah. the mileage on those legs weren't as much you know as they are now. So again, that was one of the first things, and then the next thing. Alejandro was pure bliss of this midfield. I mean, again, uh, I guess I just haven't seen Javi in a, in a while. Prime Javi, you know, yeah. or, you know, there's obviously a little bit in the later. But again, just the fluidity, the passing, the connection with the three of them. Just know, I mean, especially with Iniesta and Javi, just the two of them just knowing exactly where to go to play the ball. Again, it is one of those things that is like in the moment I remember watching it you know, in 2011, and I just took it for granted. And now we're 10 years removed, and it's just, it's amazing how 
well they did. I mean, I remember at one point because of the game I was the the feed that I had said 10 minutes in the match or like 15 or I don't know 20 minutes in the match that Barcelona already had 200 passes. <laughs> it was just like what, <laughs> you know? And I and I just I had to do a double day because you know all those passes, all the movement, and so for me, man, that just brought me back and it just put a smile to my face just to see those three. You know, not hobbling, being on their A game in a final, and just the way they destroyed the Man U uh, midfield. Yeah, and we, and we talked a lot about Xavi and Iniesta, but we also have the same, the, the best version of Busquets in the, in those times. And you said it in the last episode we did with the draft that Busquets, when he was on er, on his A game, he was just the best midfielder in his position. And you can see that in this game. He was so quick to recover. He was so quick to, all right, we're going to attack this way. All right, we're going to get out this way. And it was just awesome watching him. And you're like, oh, okay, so this is why Busquets still gets the benefit of the doubt and still gets so so many minutes because he's just unique in his position. And you see maybe one of his uh, one of his best games in this game at Wembley against Manchester United because he was he was probably the the only guy I mean along with Mascherano because Mascherano was obviously in defense but you, you didn't have so many guys that could really think stop and all right let's watch besides I mean Busquets and Xavi because Iniesta was a little bit more direct maybe uh, towards the goal but these two guys just having Xavi and Busquets in the just in the, their best version is just great to watch and I think uh, that's something that we miss too because we, we we also missed fast Busquets in in a way because it wasn't he was never that quick but he was faster to get to those balls That he, so he could recover it. So we, we also missed that fast Busquets somehow. Yeah, I mean, especially in this match, he's box to box, yeah. you know, and inside the box. And he doesn't do that anymore, obviously. But there were so many times where he was up front, essentially giving defensive support, anticipating mm -hmm. those passes coming out from Manchester United. And so that was another thing that stood out for me. But again, I think just with this midfield, I mean, obviously, it's just, you know, one of the best midfields of all time in football. And Just, again, I cannot stress this enough, especially watching the team now and seeing, you know, my history of football, the chemistry, the ability for them to dominate possession at this level like this and week in and week out like they did is just an incredible feat. Now, you mentioned this before. Again, another nostalgic thing for me was the pressure. Yeah, just like you said, pressure winning the ball back. Yeah. Again, when they lost the ball, they attacked like like hornets, like bees on the ball, you know, and they were able to win it back because the technical ability of this midfield from Manchester United was not even in the same realm, the same world as ours. <laughs> so when they got the ball, you know, they were pressing so much. You know, it's like one of those things when you are, I don't know if this happened to you in sports, when you're playing two levels above you, mm -hmm. right? You have to keep it inside yourself. You're you're trying to play fast, but you're trying to play controlled. And the competition you're playing is playing at a higher level, so you don't want to make mistakes, but you end up making more mistakes. And this is what happened with the midfield of Manchester United. Yeah, because you're you're just not playing the game you know, and you're not just going with the plan that you've been preparing for weeks. You're just overthinking it instead of just playing with your instincts. You're just, okay, what do I do? It's so fast, and it comes to you so fast that you just... I mean, I just lost the ball again against Barcelona. Yeah, and and you know that 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 may end up in a goal because you just had that mental lapses. So yes, it happens. Uh, I mean, especially at this level, if you're not 
just reacting every time, preparing, reacting, you're just going to lose, especially against a team like this. And I think when we talk about this team, this Barcelona, this, these are the guys that should have won more titles. These are the guys that should have won consecutive Champions Leagues like Real Madrid did a couple of years ago. I think these guys should have won more titles, especially because once you you go back, you watch, okay, they won in uh, 09. Perfect. Then they lost against Mourinho in, that, in those semifinals against Inter Milan. And maybe they should have won that. I mean, maybe not. They should have won that uh, semifinal. Won. They were by far the better team. They played better. They just weren't uh, as sharp uh, when they had to score the goals. And then not only they lost that year, but the year after they win this championship, they lose against a Chelsea team that, was, that wasn't even in the same level as this Manchester United. Uh, uh, the Mateo squad that was just unbelievable the way they won the Champions League because they beat Bayern Munich at Munich in the final after they somehow defeated Barcelona yeah. in the semifinal. So this is this is the era, this is the generation, and these are the years that I think Barcelona had their best shot to win a consecutive Champions League, and it didn't happen. So I don't know if this would happen anytime in the future, because you had the best version of Messi, the best uh, Xavi, Busquets, Iniesta. You had a very good striker in Villa, uh, very fast and quick and great guy on Pedro. And I think it's it's just going to be hard to have a team like this again. Yeah, this just goes back to my theory. You know, this is maybe my one critique of Pep. In the Champions League, he is unable to adapt. He's always thinking that his style is going to win because his style has the better team. In this. But as we've seen, you just mentioned Inter Milan, Chelsea. We've seen these past years, Liverpool, this thing. A, the most important thing is the away goal. Whenever you can, get the away goal. But also, in when you're past the quarterfinals, your main goal is to get points or get the win. You yeah. know, Do not lose it. Because you know what's funny, Alejandro, before I was watching this match... Uh, I was looking at the Bayern FC Barcelona one. What was that? Two thousand nine or something like this? Uh, the uh, semifinals? No, no, yeah, where they smoked us. Yeah, it was seven zero, right? I think yeah. it was thirteen. Let me check it out. Okay, thirteen, thirteen, right? So, so going back to that is the same thing. We had a really good team, and we just have this issue on Champions League where we cannot uh, adapt to the win or die, go home type of mentality for these Champions Leagues, you know? If you take all the matches, our winning percentage is really good, you know? But we have these mistakes here and there where we could have won more. I'm totally on board with you. I think in this era, we should have won at least the 10 because that Inter Milan team was not good. Yeah, We did not show up. We did not adapt. Mourinho did a master class against us. He did enough to stop us. Mm -hmm. But then we just, you know... We kind of do this every other thing. And again, that's why it goes back to Alejandro. Champions League is super difficult. There's so many things that go into it. Luck, draw, players injury, all these different things. That's why it's so important to treat them as two games, the most important, get the win and move on, you know? Uh, so was it 2013? Yes, it was the 2012-2013 semifinals. They lost uh, 4-0 in Germany, 0-3 yeah. in Barcelona. And then Bayern Munich went on to uh, win the final against uh, Borussia Dortmund at Wembley too, two one. Yeah, yeah. So don't watch that match because that'll upset you. Because <laughs> oh <my laughs> I, I did that. Uh, the other thing, the last thing on the nostalgia corner for me was no VAR. You know, obviously we have VAR in the game, and in this match, the the feed I was watching was the the Spanish feed, 
which is I'm going to talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was lovely. And again, the idea that we didn't have VAR, I don't know how I feel about it because I do accept it now. You know, it's just part of the game, instant replay. There were moments in this game where there were awful handballs and this type of issue, but obviously the referee didn't want to call it because it's a final. So does not having VAR in this final make it nostalgic for you or do you want no VAR still? No, I like I like the VAR because it gives you a little bit more of a justice feeling when when you're watching games, especially I mean in, in a final you don't want to uh, and I'm go back to the 2018 World Cup final with that penalty kick that they called against Croatia and I was like, oh, I don't know, man, I didn't see a handball there and it, and then the game's tied and you don't want to really take uh, this kind of a shot in a final, but I understand if it's if it's a very clear handball in the box, I mean you have to call it. If you don't if you didn't see it and you go to VAR and it's fine, it's fine if you go come back and, and call it a penalty kick. And and I think Villa had a handball in this uh, yep. game and it yep. could have been the three two, so it could have been a, a very different last ten minutes or fifteen minutes. I don't I don't remember the exact minute right now, but it was it was it was that type of play, of a play that can bring a team back to the match because it, Barcelona was so superior and they could find the second goal with still th- uh, 10 or 15 minutes to go. I mean, you're right there. You, you've you been, uh, I mean, they beat us, but we're still there with so much time to go. I mean, it, it would have been a different game. I'm not nostalgic in not having VAR. I think we should have had it before, but I'm glad we didn't have it at this point, especially in this final. <laughs> but the year before, Inter had a couple of goals that wouldn't count it if we had VARs. So I, I guess yeah. it's just a balance, and it happens yeah. a lot in, in Champions League. So I'm, I'm not nostalgic about it. All right, let's move on. So let's get into the most fun category, the goals. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into the first goal. It was scored by Pedro in the 27th minute. You know, this was basically on a counter. And again, it's just the understanding of these players to create space. Now, if you watch this on replay again, the way Pedro flares out perfectly. And Javi basically does a no-look outside foot pass to him, obviously with the perfect pace, obviously accurate. And Pedro just slots it past Vandesar. And I remember watching this when I was watching this live. I was like, that just seemed so easy, Mm -hmm. eh? And... How did he just pass the ball past Vandazar? That was my my first reaction. Uh, anything that I miss on this Pedro goal or anything that stuck out for you in this Pedro goal? Yeah, this era of Barcelona, it's, I mean, we always remember the midfield and the passes, but the, the different kind of passes that Messi and Iniesta had going towards the goal, they were so good at just finding that little space between the central defender and the right back or the central defender and the left back. And having your striker right in front of the the other team's goalie, they they did it all the time, and I think that's a that's a very distinct mark of this Barcelona team. Just having Xavi and and every time I watch a game and I'm with my brother and somebody somebody does a pass like this, I'm like, that was a Xavi like pass because <laughs> that's the only way. I mean, how how did he do that? And it was so know. awesome that we were all watching the game. We were all watching the ball. And, we okay, Xavi has the ball. And then, like, oh, my God, he saw Pedro right there. <laughs> and, and, yes, it was so easy. And I think if you ask me, I think Van der Sar is guilty in, in maybe a couple of, of goals in that final because that first goal, you always have to guard your first your first yeah, post. Yeah. So, so your first, uh, your first uh, post. So I think he, he has some 
type of a guilt in this in this one. And then when you watch the Messi goal, he was kind of going one way, and then he got it. He got it like off guard, but still a great goal. It's awesome when you have so many passes, and and the ball just ends up in the net with another pass, like Pedro did. So, yeah. so it was it was great. Going back to the Chavi pass, the other thing too, like you said, it's never bouncing, right? And it's always perfectly laid off so that Pedro can control it or whoever can control the ball and do what you want to do. And that's when I used to play forward, that was always my biggest complaint sometimes from midfielders when they didn't give you the proper ball, like if it was too bouncy or too pacey, this type of thing. But man, Javi on that pass was just miraculous. Now let's go on to the next goal, the Rooney goal. Now, like you said, we talked about this earlier. They only had one shot on goal. This was the only shot yeah. essentially they had on goal. And again, you know, when you watch this match, I still see some things that I still see now in the future is just not being detail oriented, mm -hmm. right? This came off a throw in, yeah. you know, just this kind of just reminded me of the Liverpool goal and that same idea of on a dead ball, we're not paying attention. Literally, Giggs and Rooney went right down the middle on our throat, essentially. They basically kind of did a give and go. Rooney obviously had a really nice finish. You know, that was a really good finish. Again, to me, Alejandro, to me, it was just these lapses that we did, especially with, like, the Danny Alves era of defending. <laughs> you know, as much as I love Danny Alves yeah. for what he did forward, I mean, there's times in this match where you're just like, Danny, just focus a little bit more on defense, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, so this one was just the lapse of, of, of mental lapse, you know, on this throw-in. I remember getting mad. Um, how are these guys tying this game right now? <laughs> when Barcelona is so superior, it should have been 2-0 or 3-0 by the 40th minute. And it, and right now we're in halftime and it's 1-1 and it's a final. I, I can't understand why these guys are tying the game right now. But, it, I mean, it, it didn't last very much because then Messi came up and scored the second goal. But I remember that feeling of, okay, we're so superior. We should be winning this game by three goals or by two goals at least. And we're not. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I remember at halftime, I was still a little bit nervous, you know, because yeah, obviously it's one one. Tied, it's yeah. anyone's game, right? This is the thing. And, you know, making these substitutions and so forth, who knows what happens. All right. So you just touched it on the messy goal. And we're, I'm going to debate you on the Vandersar issue in okay. a second. But I actually just saw a video clip of this goal from the fans on the, on the stands. Yeah. And it actually was a really good view of it. it uh, it's about five minutes or so. So you can kind of really see the buildup. And two times in the buildup, uh, Barcelona wins the ball again because of their tenacious defense and ability to get the ball back. But again, it's the dynamic ability of Javi Iniesta working that ball, Messi finding the crease, and making that shot. Now, for me, Van der Sar couldn't do anything because he was going to the right, coming back to the left. There's a debate in the, you know, like with my friends here in Spain, especially with this goal, is that that should have been saved and so forth. But I just think in the circumstance, the way Messi was a little bit guarded by a defender, Van der Sar didn't really have a good look. He was doing the right thing, going to the right, and Messi just caught him off guard. Yeah. What say you? Yeah, and, and I agree with you in this because when, when, we, uh, when we watch Messi play and we watch all his goals, we can see we can say maybe 70% of them is just he, him coming from the left and then scoring on the second post of the goalie. Mm -hmm. And I think Van der Sar was maybe thinking uh, Messi was trying to do that again. And that's why uh, when, when you watch a replay, you see him uh, going to his right even before the shot is 
even before Messi is trying to shoot the ball. So that's why I think it's it could have been saved because if you see the, the, the Messi shot, I mean, it's fast. It's coming with a lot of power, but it's almost down the middle of the of the goal. So maybe a goalie could have stopped it. But, but I, I know it's hard, especially with the, the way the ball bounces. It's not a straight shot, but the ball bounces right before it gets to Van der Sar. And that's when it gets even harder for him to just uh, try to get a ball on it, even though he was so long. And and when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, great. When But I've, I've <laughs> seen this goal, like, I don't know, a hundred times. And I'm like... I still think Van der Sar could have done a little <laughs> bit more because, I mean, especially now with the goalies that are so quick, just reacting to the other side, maybe uh, Van der Sar wasn't the quickest at this point uh, because it, it was the, the latest years of his career. But I think a, a quick goalie nowadays maybe could have stopped this goal. Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, nowadays I think a goalie could. But the thing too, right, you know, when you're tall like that, moving one way, yeah, it's, it's difficult it's a, to go to ground yeah, the other way. So, right, yeah. again, it's a, it's a game of inches, and Messi did enough to see that and take that opportunity. Now, for me, out of all the goals, this the Via goal is my favorite goal, just for so many reasons. Nani comes in as a substitute, right? And Nani had all this pub as being the next playmaker because he could juggle like crazy and yeah. do all these things, right? So he comes in and, uh, you know, there's a reason Alejandro, he didn't start, right? Because he's not the most, uh, he's not the best defender in the midfield, right? Mm -hmm. He's just all about attacking. And obviously Ferguson wanted more in the midfield. Anyway, so Nani comes into the game and there's a moment where it's him against Messi, 1v1. And Messi puts on a move. And when you watch it again, the crowd just ooze, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because you know something's about to happen, right? He puts the move. Takes him to the corner, then goes into the box, and Messi tries to lay it off. It does not connect. But, again, going back to the tenacious ability of this team to get the ball back, Busquets is there, gets the ball, lays it off to Villa. Villa has the sense to not shoot it at that moment, but to stop it and roll it forward with his foot, and then hit it upper 90. And then I just remember in that moment, especially in Barcelona, Game set, Guillermo. What are your thoughts on this beautiful Maravilla goal? Yeah, I think this this is probably the the most beautiful goal of this final. Even though uh, Rooney's finish in the first half was awesome, I think the image of just the ball going in and Messi already celebrating because he knew. I mean, he knew with this three one that was it was game over, and especially with yeah. the team that Barcelona had. Even though Manchester had a, like a final push and we had the the handball and all that that we talked about, but M Messi celebrating the way he did and the way like you said that Villa just stopped the ball calmly. Okay, now we go. Boom, get it. It was it was just awesome to watch, especially because when you review the goals and and you watch them and you're like, okay, two of them weren't actually plays like the the entire team those part of the of the goal because it was just uh, just Messi getting the ball and kicking it and this one was just uh, Busquets recovering the ball and giving it to Villa but it, it takes you back to the concept that we were talking about you have to shoot the ball because nowadays if Arthur for just to say name Arthur gets that ball right there he's probably gonna stop look to a side nobody look to the other side nobody and then go back no, let's try to get a shot on goal and maybe this happens because, uh, I mean, you have to try it. And Villa was one of the best and on doing this. And it reminds me a lot of a goal he scored against Real Madrid. 
at Bernabeu when he just gets the ball and just quick, uh, he's very quick and just kicks it to the second post and it's a very great goal at Bernabeu. And then this one, I think this is probably the, one of the most important goals in his uh, Barca years and it was just the way of ending it. I mean, after this goal, I was sure, at this point, I was sure Barcelona was going to win this final because with the Messi okay. goal, it was 2-1, but, I mean, and Barcelona was superior, yeah, yeah. but we, we were at the same point right before that, that throw-in that you talked about, the, the goal of by, the, by Rooney. So by this point, I was sure, okay, Barcelona is going to win this thing. Yeah, again, I mean, just imagine that one-year span of Villa. You know, the 2010 World Cup, all those goals he scored. Yeah. The season he had with Barcelona that season. I think I think it was his, one of his best seasons under Barcelona. And also, just like you said, he was just a finisher. You know, when I think of Villa, I just think of finishing, right? Like, he just scored the goal. And, again, I just remember watching this in the cafeteria. Everyone just exploded because, obviously, the sense of relief is one thing, but yeah. also just the goal. And, you know... Alejandro, this is one of the things I love about football is the Spanish goal call. You know, there's nothing like it. And when I watched it in uh, this replay, it was through the FC Barcelona website. So obviously it's going to be more biased than usual. Yeah. But in the Spanish goal call, it's just amazing the way he did. It's like, via, via, goal, goal. You know, just going crazy. And it just, yeah, I just remember that moment. All right. So we have just the last points here. Uh, you know, we just have some additional talking points here. Uh, I think, you know, for me, the, you know, we've already talked about the the shooting outside the box. I think the biggest thing, right, you know, is Abidal lifting the cup. You know, as we talked about earlier, Puyol was the captain, the main captain. Mm -hmm. He comes on with, I think, about five minutes left in the match for this reason, right? Because he was going to lift the cup, essentially. And obviously, he passed it off to Abidal, which I thought was, in the moment, just a remarkable uh, gesture. Because like we said, I think in that moment, he thought that he was going to play two or three more yeah. seasons, right? And looking back at it, it's even, I think it holds more reverence now because of that moment. Like he didn't know and he still passed it off. And that's why, you know, when we did our fantasy draft, that's why he's on my team because he's my captain, right? And, but again, just the gesture was enormous by Puyol. Yeah, and that's why Abidal is in my team because he lifted that trophy. <laughs> no, but it was it was a great moment. It was a... Like we said, like we talked about the Barcelona and the Mexican club concept, it's just not football. It's just not the way of winning a game or playing a game. It's just a way of living life too. Like, okay, I'm going through a rough year, but you know what? The guy, the, the guy next to me is going through an even tougher year right now. So let me just let him enjoy this moment with us. And it was a, it was a classy move by Pujol. I mean, going back to it, I think it would have been nice just to have Pujol lifting it once again, one one last time, because I mean, Abidal could have left it two seconds right after that. It it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's just symbolism, and I understand it. But it was it was nice watching these two guys coming back to the pitch and, and performing. And like we said, I, Abidal wasn't even sure who was going to play that game, and he ended up playing and and having a great game himself. So it was it was nice having this gesture from El Capitan, and I think that's that's something that we're going to remember too. Once we we go back to it, and maybe once if we get to talk to Puyol one time, we, we we can ask him. Did you think that was gonna be your last Champions League final? Because that that could change things. If 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 they tell you, hey, this is your last final, the last trophy you're yeah. gonna lift, are you still doing it? Maybe he would have said yes. But it, it's it's a nice moment and it's a it's a good question to have. Yeah, I mean, I I still think he does it. Yeah, just because I think that's just in his personality. But, I mean, it's crazy to think that you know with Abidal's cancer. 
you know, treatment. And then all of a sudden, like he just goes and plays, you know, it's just insane to think about that. But yeah, so that, that, that does it for me with the Abadal lifting the cup. I think that's pretty much it. I think we did a good job of summing up this game. Um, we're going to have more rewatchable games coming up. So watch your feed, you know, and, uh, thanks for listening. We'll have more episodes, like I said, of FC Barcelona matches coming out over the weeks to come. Alejandro, until next time, Visca Barça. Until next time, be safe, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.